is the sermon of the series that had me saying for five weeks, why is it taking so long to get to where I'm, my heart's at? And it's all about amazing grace. And so I'm glad y'all are here. Um, thank you all for being here. I pray that no matter what you've walked into this place with, that you're able to receive the message today because the gospel and grace is your story. It's your story. If you are a Christian, it, this is your story. And Paul is celebrating, and he's talking about the detractors from his story. And we're going to talk about that. But I want to acknowledge something before I go anywhere else. We know we as God's people should have a special place in our heart for Israel, because those are God's people. And we know that in 1948, Israel became a nation again for the second time, as prophesied ten places in Scripture, 2,900 years previously. Is how long it was before they became a nation again. Um, and so we know at least today, from my looking into things, 600 people killed in Israel, 300 in Gaza, people taken from their homes, stored in some underground places where some of the missiles are stored so that if Israel were to retaliate to get rid of some of the things, they would shoot at them, it would kill their own people. What a, what a situation. And I just think as Christians, you know, Israel is a special part of God's history and God's people and pay attention to it because it's the thing I pay. They're the people I pay attention to in regards to end times more than anybody. Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars. See that you are not alarmed. That's what he says. This must take place, but the end is not yet. So I'm going to continue in my sermon series in Galatians because the end is not yet. And we have people that need Jesus, and the gospel needs to be spread. And if, if anything that I can do in my position of authority that God has given me is to share the gospel and share passionately about how God saves people. And we need to go about our business being evangelistic and telling our story and our testimony and what God has done for us. And so uh, today I'm passionate about that. So I'm going to stop and pray for a second and pray for Israel. And then we're going to get going, and I'm going to be totally shifting back to where we were in the beginning before I had to bring up this news. I didn't know we were, this was going to happen, and this happened. Uh, but I'm not going to throw away what God has for us today just because of that, because God is on the throne, and this is something I trust God, and I'm not going to be an end times preacher every week talking about end times. That's just not what I'm going to do. I'm going to get busy with my call no matter what's going on, um, and I'm going to be faithful to the end. That's my goal. <laughs> so let's pray. God, we lift up Israel right now. We lift up the world right now, and in terms of rumors of wars, I, I've not lived in a time that there were more rumors, and there were more fears and more uh, just scary things, um, all sorts of fears of the conversations of, uh, I don't even want to go there, God, you know, you know. I lift up Israel, I pray for those people, I pray for their leadership, I pray for their safety, I pray that, God, you would guide them in this mess, that there would be divine grace in this mess. I do pray for the others on the other side. I pray that somehow, in the midst of this wreckage, that might they encounter you. God, we know of stories of Muslims having visions of you as their Savior. And, I, God, I just pray for supernatural, because we're to a point of supernatural is what we need. God, and, and we've had supernatural in our own church, of miracle of cancer, and, God, we've seen it, we've experienced it. So, God, I just ask for you to move powerfully and that we would not 
be afraid of you moving powerfully in the midst of all this chaos. We know you are the God who's on the throne. You're sovereign in the midst of all this. And I pray that, Lord, we just submit our hearts to you today to hear what your word says. Amen. So one of my favorite songs, it's stirred in my heart. Uh, and I know in a little bit we're going to be singing Amazing Grace, the original. Um, one of my favorite songs as a younger guy, and I don't remember, what, I don't know when it was written, but Phil Wickham, this is Amazing Grace, he's famous for it. It says, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Who, whose love is mighty and so strong? The king of glory, the king above all kings. And it goes on, it goes, who shakes the whole world with holy thunder? And at the end it goes, who brings chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the king of glory, the king of glory? Who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all its brilliance, the king of glory, the king above all things. And the chorus is, this is amazing grace. If you know it, you can see what we This is unfailing love. That you would take my You would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. All that you've done for me. Amen. Wow. Thank you. This is a very unbaptist church now. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to say that and just say, amazing grace. Grace is our story. And I'll hear one of you have a story and you have a testimony. And I want to start with saying, I want to get back to the point where we start having more testimonies uh, in services or in prayer meetings and, and, and outreach to people where we talk about what God has done for our lives. Because you know what? At the end of the day, you have to speak your truth. My truth is God has done a work in my life, and, and that's my story. I have God's story. I have my story. I don't have anything else. I don't know your story. Your story is your story. I have my story. And I was lost, and I was broken, and I was far from him. And yet, I encountered this amazing concept of grace. Unmerit. You're going to keep me saying, my favorite thing is not saying grace. It's unmerited favor. I don't deserve this, but he gave it to me. Amen? And that's what we're talking about today. Paul, of all people, the shining example of the gospel, he's having to come, a place that he planted a church, and now these other people are coming in, these religious people coming in, undoing what he came and set up, and he's having to come back and defend himself. And what is this defense? It's all about his story, his testimony, the gospel. Your story matters. People in your life, your friends, your family, need to hear your testimony. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. One of the first things you need to meet a new person, they need to hear, is how God saved you. That's how we impact the world. How does God's story impact my story and how do I get busy in my story sharing what God has done? Amen? We need to do that, church. Don't be afraid. It's your story. It's hard to go into a battle trying to... You don't need to battle and debate atheists. Just share your story and trust God. It's not you winning them over anyways. The Holy Spirit has to move into a hard heart 
You can't do it. So do what you can do, which is share your story. Share God's story as allowed. That's all you can control. And that's our call. Right? That's all of our calls. So, Galatians 1, 10 through 2, chapter 2, verses 21, is often called the autobiography of this section of this apostle. Because Paul is using and combating these different theories as to where he got this gospel from, and they're trying to diminish Paul, and, and he says, let me tell you my story. Now, Paul, that's not a rare thing for Paul. He does this in Acts chapter 22, 1 through 21, 26 through 4 through 23. But his testimony is not to get inspiration. His testimony is not to point to himself. He's using it to refute the claims of people undermining the message of what he's sharing. He's trying to say, it's not what you're thinking. I'm pointing you, and he's pointing us all back to Acts chapter 9. That God, he encountered the one true God. He was murdering Christians. And we're going to find in this text, and we're going to find as we discussed today, that he didn't even go, he didn't go to talk to the apostles. He didn't go sit before them. He went alone with God. And he spent three years. He started doing missions before he even met one of the apostles. That's not what he did. He separated himself. And so they try to say, this is just the apostles told you this, and that's not what Paul says. That is not what happened. And I want to remind you of something. Old Testament-wise, y'all know, we don't know enough about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's prophets all over the place that don't align. They don't even know each other. It's one of the greatest things in terms of a prophecy as, the, as, as me to say an evidence of the Bible. There are people that talk about the same things. They have the same claims, same doctrine. Same belief system that don't know each other and are ministering at the same exact time. They don't even know each other. So that means God spoke to them, God spoke to them, and they didn't even know each other. This was not a sit down, let me indoctrinate you, now you believe what I believe. That's not how God operates. We're in a church, so clearly you're going to believe some of the things I teach because I teach. But that's not everyone's story. I'm not in in church because I just went to church and showed up and got indoctrinated. There was demonic things in my home, magic books that my brother brought in. We saw some supernatural, and we went to a church. And I got saved the day I walked in and heard the gospel. I was like, yes! Because if there's evil, there's demonic. If I feel there's a spiritual realm, there's a God. And I'm going that direction because I was scared, and I didn't want that. You hear me? So I can, in my own way, see this. Counterclaims is what this is about. Paul tells us how he became a follower of Jesus. Maybe, perhaps more accurately, how Jesus made him his follower. Because that's what happened. Paul can't claim he made a good decision. I heard some good, you know, winsome arguments, and I said yes to that. That's not Paul's claim. He went from killing Christians zealously, and he thought he was doing it for God. He went from there to becoming a person that would give his entire life like no other apostle. His life was done over. 
And he didn't come down to a cross because they had to talk a lot about hell. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? The one you so zealously serve. Right? And then he said, you must suffer for my name's sake. And you know what Paul did? He has to live with the fact that he killed so many Christians. And he said, I will serve you, God. This is why I'm not big about altar calls. I know a lot of people want me to do that. Come down to the altar. You want Jesus? Let's go. Let's talk about him. Are you right with God? Do you know you're going to heaven? Let's talk. Let's discuss it. He said his call from God was, you must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul said, yes, to the ends of the world. And he lived it. Died a martyr's death. Amen? That's his story. Not winsome arguments, not an apostle, not a preacher. God himself woke him up and said, you will serve me. It's called a testimony. Nobody could refute, even the apostles. The apostles could have said, this isn't true. He's not the right guy. They couldn't refute what only God can do. There is no refute. Only God could have done that. Amen? Only God can change the hardest of hearts. Only God. Stop trying to win people over in arguments. Get on your knees and pray for God Almighty to change people. Because only God can do it. Our job is to do our best to deliver what we have and what we can give, which is testimony and truth of God's word. It's not the, we're not God. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't convict. We can't make, people, can't make people get saved. We can't change nothing. God can. We can be vessels, and we're called to be vessels. Amen? So, three attacks. He's defending himself. Some people, he says in verse 7, or making on him and his gospel message, these, these different attacks. So number one is Paul refutes the idea that he came to the gospel message through his own reflection, reasoning, and thinking. What is he saying? This is a shot at everybody who wants to education-wise, or I'm so smart, I want to get to the conclusion of whether I believe or don't believe. Paul's saying, Paul was one who's a rare Jew. He wasn't just a Jew. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He wasn't just the smartest man in the room in regards to religion, he also studied with Greeks. Why God called him to the Gentiles is he had a background of knowledge of Greeks. He understood their philosophies. He could actually articulate and discuss and debate and have conversations that others couldn't have because they just knew Jewish world. And Paul was a rare person. He literally studied under somebody that was an expert. And he's saying, I did not come to the conclusion of the gospel through my own reasoning. I didn't. That's not his testimony. His testimony is God himself spoke to him. His own reasoning led him to kill Christians. That's what his reasoning led him to do, was to murder innocent people and God's people. This is a, this is a Jew so zealous for God that doesn't understand what everyone in this room, if you've been around my teaching at any time, I always talk about Genesis 12. In the very beginning of our faith, chapter, ch chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, all nations, the plan of God was all nations, all people, Gentiles would be reached. And somehow the second covenant with Abraham, the, all the Jewish people, because of their racism, let me say it, racism, 
hated Gentiles and ignored that covenant. Didn't expect for God to love all the Gentiles. They got so wrapped up in religion and felt we're the people who judge. Now you hear me say it all the time and I mean it. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't judge nobody. You don't. You don't have the authority to do that and all you do is hurt people and you hurt yourself because the old adage, you point, you got some fingers looking at you. You can't change nobody but you. I don't care who you're trying to change. You can't change people. You can control you. You can influence, be an encourager, be a support. You can't change people. And the gospel teaches us we don't, we don't come and just condemn. You can judge rightly that maybe some of these people aren't Christians and not who they say they are. That's a whole other conversation. But in general, when we see broken people, lost people, we should be thinking, but God. God can change them, not, oh, disgusting, let me walk away. Uh-uh, uh-uh! That gangster, that drug dealer, that addicted person, that broken person, but God! Because if he can do it to me, he can do it to them. Why can't he? Amen? So, Paul clearly communicates in verse 13 that he was intensely hostile to the church. He wanted to destroy it. He wanted to kill it off in his zealousness. Pre-Christian Paul was so violently opposed to Christ that even watching the faith and certainty of Christian martyrs had no effect on him. Stephen being murdered and him saying, if you read Acts chapter 7, through chapter 7 going into 8, he has this amazing message that he shares passionately, boldly, and Stephen is the one, or sorry, Paul is the one standing there where people are praising Paul for his murder. He was not moved in any iota from anything that Christian had to say about who God was. Not one iota. In fact, we go from chapter 7 to chapter 9 to where he got even more violent, went and got permission to go murder more Christians. He was only getting started. Amen? So, did he come to the gospel message on his own reflection, reasoning, and thinking? No. That's what Paul says. His experience is strong evidence that the conversion was via direct revelation, as he says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Shows us that the risen Jesus met and instructed Paul directly. Directly. Christ was there in a time and space since even the other men with Paul recognized the presence. Chapter 9, verse 7. When what happened to Paul happened, the other men present also saw it. They also experienced it. It's not Paul's testimony alone. Paul does this often. 500 people appear to them. Go ask them. Some of them are still alive. Go talk to them. You don't have to believe me. And Paul says it there. What happened to me, others were present. They saw what happened too. Okay? You can say what you want to say, but not one apostle refutes this. Not one person in history refutes this. Paul is a testimony. That man went from murdering to giving his entire life to be murdered. 
for Christ. Amen? Come on. So Paul became a capital A apostle. Not because the apostles anointed him or appointed him. Because God himself said, you will serve me, Paul. And he becomes the massive contributor to the majority of the Bible. It's funny that when we look at Moses, he had an education, unlike the slaves. God saved him out of poverty or death or whatever he would have been through. He didn't call him out of slavery. He actually was set apart, got an education, and he becomes a contributor of writing the Bible. Well, here we have Paul, a very educated man who becomes the writer of the majority of the New Testament, who can speak to Gentile churches. He didn't call him the Jews, and when you pay attention to Paul's story, he wants to go minister to Jews. He, he gets shipwrecked. He tells us some of my suffering is I'm so, I so badly want to go minister to my people because I understand their brokenness. God, I know better than you. Let me go minister to the Jews. And God says, no, you're going to minister to Gentiles. That's your call. Why? Because he was equipped and he was one of the only ones equipped to go do what he did and to write the letters that he wrote to Gentiles. He so fiercely defended his call because he didn't even want it. It was reluctant. A good minister is reluctant in some ways. Doesn't want the job. Not depending on it. Fire me. Who cares? Whatever. God will take care of me. Sometimes you're reluctant. And he's reluctant. It's just a call. It's what he has to do. It's what God's called him to do. And he's in that situation where he's, he's called to this. And, and he's called to minister, minister to Gentiles. And he even in Galatians stands up to Peter. Peter. Because at, at some point in that call, he said, I guess I got to go all in. And he even stood up to an apostle. He tells himself every time he talks about apostles, he said, I'm the least of them. I don't even deserve the title. He doesn't, it's not about glory for him. I don't even deserve this. I killed Christians. He knows that. He admits it. But when, he is, when he's God's man and needs to stand up to Peter, he stands up to Peter. And he calls him out. That's not the gospel. Stop what you're doing. You people lover at this moment trying to side with these Judaizers. Be who God called you to be. Amen? That's what you see. All right. You can tell. Hey, five sermons from what I wanted to be on. <laughs> I'm pent up, pent up excitement. Second, the second is Paul under, under, undermines the claim that his gospel message was delivered from others, from Christians, leaders in Jerusalem. See, that's the other argument. This is just what they said. He said, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Verse 16 through 17. He said, there were three years between Paul's conversion and his first journey to Jerusalem, which is verse 18 through 19. So there's a separation here. And even then, he did not get instructed by them in any specific way. This was a genuine conversion from God. And when he got that conversion, he spent time with God, probably looking at the Old Old Testament and saying, what did I miss? How did I get this way? What about the religious people that taught me, that led me to this zealousness? What about everything I've known about following you, God, zealously? What did I miss? If you were offended when I said what I said last week about counterfeit gospels or cults, don't be. Go on a journey like Paul did. 
study God's word for itself. Man's tradition is not on par with God's word. Man is not an apostle. There are no more apostles. They've already come. Study God's word. Let him speak fresh revelation to you. Let God lead your life. Let his word lead your life. There are many Christians that died for the Bible to be in your hands. That's when the Protestant Reformation happened. As people started reading the word of God and said, we need to get this in people's hands because that's not what we're believing. We're being led astray for political reasons, for money reasons that has nothing to do with God's people and the church. Never get upset when, oh, he's preaching on get in the Bible again. Get in the Bible. This is God, as Lucrece says, 66 books of a love letter written to you that you would know God, that you would never succumb to somebody thinking, I have the authority of God to tell you something. Read his word. Test everything that somebody speaks to you with authority through his word. What does his word say? Study it. Bleed the Bible. Eat it. As Jeremiah says in a verse, eat the Bible. And I don't mean eat it. <laughs> I'm saying love it. Consume it. We got time for everything. Some people, if I'm five minutes over, oh, I got to get home, got to watch that football. Well, some of our entertainment is ruining our country because we don't love this enough. We're so consumed with everything else. Man, bleed this. Read this. I, I don't understand. Some people just want to come be part of a church. Get it, be the body that God's called us to be. I mean, we have rumors of war everywhere. This is the kind of stuff that's like, what is it going to take for us to say, we got to be God's people? I don't know what to do. I can't make people do anything. But we need to be God's people. Right now, you need people around you to encourage you to be supportive. You need to have friendships. You need to let the gifts that God has given you to flow out to be who God's called you to be. What more has to happen? I mean, what, how bad does it have to get before we wake up? So I'm preaching with energy, and I know sometimes that can offend people. I promise you, it's just passion. I don't get it. I've been in churches my whole life, and I didn't grow up in church necessarily, and, and in churches my whole life, but they're praying for repentance, praying for repentance. And man, we're just so relaxed and act like nothing's happening. And then we, you know, go five years later, and it gets worse. Five years later, it gets worse. There's no way in my time in high school that I would have been thinking that boys are going to be in the same sports as girls, bashing their heads in. And we're going to sit here, men, sit here and say, that's okay? Yeah, you can get in there and box my daughter. Are you kidding me? I'm ripping someone's throat out. I, I, no. What are we doing? What? This is insane. We're going to mutilate children, and then later, when they finally get old enough, they realize all the consequences that nobody was able to explain, and they couldn't have understood. They couldn't have understood at the age what the consequences were. And we call that okay? And men sit back cowardly and say, it's okay? Not me. Fire me if you want. I don't care. That's not okay. Write me letters. Online people. I don't care. You might have a little savior time on that email. I don't care. It's wrong. It's not okay. When did it become okay? It was never okay before. Now it's okay. 
It's not okay. So, he did not get instructed by them. Paul's repeated reference to the apostles at Jerusalem suggests that some people were claiming that Paul had simply gotten his gospel message from the headquarters. That's, this would enable them to argue, we have also been trained at Jerusalem. And we know that Paul did not give you the whole story. There are other things you must do in order to please God. He's not buying it for an inch. No, I did not. You don't have special authority here. God called me to be the apostle. Called me to the Gentiles. This is the church I planted. You know what? When you put the work in, you have the ability to fight for what you built, what God called you to build. Thank God, Paul had courage. And he stands up to Peter, even. And all his self-doubts, I'm the least of the apostles. But in that moment, no. Amen? No. And that's why God called Paul. So. Third, this has to do with verification. Paul shows us that his God-given gospel checked out with the message of other apostles had received from God. So, I want to say this before I say this. <laughs> apostles were not envious or jealous of him. Doesn't that say something? Doesn't that say something? In a world where everyone's territorial, focused on growing their own thing, doing their own business, it's all about them, it's money, it's all these other things, the apostles weren't that way. Not one time do you see the apostles say, Paul's not a man called by God. You know why? Because even in their arguments, Paul stood up, told the truth, and they're like, yeah, that is the truth. Because the same thing Jesus said to you, said to us, we're just fleshly. Because even the apostles were flesh and make mistakes. And so Paul comes in, and there's no jealousy, there's no enviousness amongst them. So that was simply God working. A time in, again, I said this earlier, where the prophets had multiple prophets that weren't even connected. So I wanted to share that with you. But we see from Paul, verse 18, James, verse 19, the church of Judea, verse 22, were among those who praised God, verse 24, for what he had done for Paul and for the message he had given Paul. No, no, no. They weren't envious. They were not jealous. They praised God for what God did, the impossible. Amen? When God does the impossible, what else do you do but say, awesome! God, you're great. You're good. See, that's why when you walk by the person that your mind says, oh, stay away. God can never minister to them. Uh-uh-uh. God called you to go say something to them. You want to be used by God? The person you're like, God can't save that person is always the person God will save. Right? The one debating you that you're like, that's different. But the, the person you're like, man, he's... He lives a worldly life. Some of them are the most lonely, hopeless people in the world. And ain't nobody been bold enough to go up to them. You're, you're too tattooed. You don't look like me. Share your testimony. You don't have to win people over. Just share what God has done in your life. Share the gospel. It's a simple message. It's not complicated. And that's one of the reasons Paul's saying this. Stop complicating the message of the gospel. I mean, good night. That's why I said what I said about counterfeit gospels. To live your whole life in a religion and you live the whole time not knowing whether you're saved or not and it's in control of that person to say whether you're saved or not and you still may go to purgatory and you, who knows 
What that means, oh, and they may pray you out of there. What? That's not what the gospel says. And why did he die on a cross and then that all has to happen? And yet he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Not me and. Gospel plus anything is a counterfeit gospel. Amen? Paul is a living example of that testimony. Okay. So, Paul's account eliminates claims like, that's what Paul thinks. Here's what we think. And it's just as valid. Paul's message is fine, but incomplete. Paul's message is simply his message. It's not what the church teaches in Jerusalem. No, no, no. Checked out by all the apostles. Agreed with, no envy, no jealousy. Just God. Amen? He calls out Paul in this apostle. And Paul, or sorry, Peter. And Peter doesn't refute it. Because he knew he was wrong. And he knew what the gospel was. Paul had, Peter had his own encounter. You know, here's Peter doing this. Peter, you know, again, some of this stuff comes back to other scriptures where there's dreams of all these different reptiles and, and God had already revealed this. They had already, they've already been talking about some of these things. Peter knew he was wrong. That being said, let's move on. So amazing grace, who Paul was. Here's his story. Paul was a man who had done many terrible things. He intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. By the time Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road, he had killed many innocent people. And he was on his way to arrest and prison more. He was only getting worse, and he even had more hate than before. So again, Stephen's murder, in the beginning of him killing and taking these people, right? And doing what he was doing, there was no conviction. He didn't change because of reasoning. He changed because something happened. God happened. Yet Paul was also a man who had done many religious deeds. He was, he says of his own age, that he was zealous for moral righteousness. And yet he had not made him right with God. All the zealousness, all the righteousness, all the rules. He kept them. He was most zealous of anybody of his age. He was progressing in Jerusalem like nobody else. But he wasn't right with God. Up until this point in the book, we have not been told the nature of the teaching of some people who were, as Scripture teaches, verse 7, trying to pervert the gospel. But here is the first hint. Later we will see that they were encouraging the Gentile Christians to become full converts to Judaism and to keep all the Mosaic laws and diet and dress and all the different religion teachings, even circumcision, chapter 2, verse 12. Men, even circumcision, you accept Christ? Boop. That's what they were teaching. But Paul is saying, I've already been there, done that. I know all about this subject. You cannot make yourself acceptable to God by the most zealous and detailed following of moral ethics or cultural codes. You just can't. You can't. You can't do it. You can't make yourself worthy of grace. It's called unmerited grace for a reason. 
You don't deserve it. But God's given it to you. So before conversion, Paul was a great religious rule keeper filled with pride. But he was saved by Christ. His testimony is a powerful witness to the beating heart of Christianity, which is the gospel of, say it with me, church, grace. Once more time, grace. Saved by grace. But God, grace is the free and merited favor of God, working powerfully on the mind and heart to change lives. There is no clearer example than Paul that salvation is by grace alone, not through moral or religious performance. Through Paul's sins were very deep. He was invited in to the family of God. Amen? Hey, public invitation. You're invited in to the family of God. You're not going to earn it. You're not, you don't have to be perfect. It's not about what, how much you've sinned. It's about you accepting his grace and letting him become the Lord of your life that will transform you. Amen? It's a choice. Can't make it happen. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't make you change. Can't make you do a thing. I just know what he's done in my life. I've been saved by grace. Raise your hand if you've been saved by grace. All right. Don't be ashamed. Say it passionately. So folks, that's what this is all about. Paul experience proves vividly that the gospel is not simply religion as it is genuinely understood. The gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. It calls us, hear that church, out of religion just like out of irreligion. Churches shouldn't be stuck in the sand not ministering or making up rules that aren't biblical. You didn't wear a suit, you came and come to church. Where is that in the Bible? Everyone has their own decision on what music they prefer. Don't talk to me about it because I'm so tired. All I've done in churches since I've been there is people talk about music. I want to get busy saving people. I want to see people come to Jesus. I, I listen to my own music, and some of you would never listen to what I listen to. I love Tripoli. I love Lecrae's old stuff. I love some guys that you would never like. Cool, no worries. I used to listen to Stain, Metallica back in the day. I'm a drummer. All right? But I listen to worship music on, all the time. And I love that my kids sing songs they hear on the radio every day when we're driving. But preference isn't important about this stuff. Let's get focused on what we're supposed to be focused on to win souls. Israel has hundreds of people dying. The end times could be coming. What are we... Come on, church, stuck in the sand. Let's get busy. Share our testimony. Share what God's done for you. Amen? All right, I got to move. I know, I know, I know. Amazing grave. What was God doing? As you look back, Paul can now recognize that God's sovereign grace was working in his life long before his actual conversion. He literally says, set me apart before birth. I didn't write that. He wrote it. Set me apart before birth. Verse 15. He means that the grace of God had been shaping and preparing him all his life for the things God was going to call him to do. Listen to me and listen to me good. 
online. If I go over it, you're going to have to go back watch online. I'm not making a habit of that, but today's the day I've been waiting the whole five weeks for. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. All you've been through, the brokenness, the mess, the nastiness, the horribleness, the challenges, I can only say as one, suffering now, suffering from what I've gone through. I can only say I'm not who I am for God if I didn't go through those things. And I know that. Paul wouldn't be who he was if he didn't go through those things. Paul became who he was, the humbled apostle who at the same time was bold, zealous, had the education he had, had the zeal he had, had the love for God that he had because of the suffering and what he had done in his own moral life, the things he had done. You can't love the gospel if you ain't done nothing wrong or act like you've never done nothing wrong. You start looking at other people want to judge them. Well, look at yourself. That's what the gospel does. That's what our history does and our story does. You're not who you are without what you've gone through or what you're going through. But we remember who he is and his sovereignty and what he's done for us. Amen? And we see this, man, this is a biblical truth. God was preparing him first for his conversion and then to be a preacher to the Gentiles. Verse 16. The Old Testament knowledge, the zeal, the training, the effort he was using to oppose God and his church, all were being used by God to break him and to equip him to be God's instruments for building his church. God had been working all along to use Paul to establish the very faith he had opposed. Verse 23. Huge point. This is the major theme of the Bible. Back in Genesis, Joseph, this is the famous story, told his brothers that the very effort to reject him, to kill him, as God's chosen deliverer, in which they had gone so far to try to kill him and had been successfully sold him over to slavery in Genesis 37, 5 through 8, 19 through 20, had actually been the means to establish Joseph as the deliverer, Genesis 50, 19 through 20. The apostle insisted that the people who tried to oppose Jesus were only served to further God's purpose. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, chapter 4, 27 through 28. All opposition to God will be seen in the end as having done nothing but confirm and further his design. Did you hear what I just said? You don't thwart God. I don't have time for this, but you could look at the underground church in China. Communism tried to take them out completely, and they went from couple million believers to uh, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of believers. Every thwart that they tried to do did nothing but make the Christians get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm waiting in my country for when we wake up to everything that's going wrong and everything that's going on, when do we get stronger? How bad does it have to get? How bad? Before we're like, God, we need you back. When will we actually repent? When will we actually get serious about prayer? When will we actually get serious about serving and going out and sharing the gospel? When does God and being Christians become the number one thing for us? As a little boy, I heard in churches, you know, when I was young, what to do and how we need to be. And I'm like, man, but I got a lot of Christians that just don't believe what they say. They say it. They know what God says. And we don't do it. We don't make attempts to do it. Get serious. I don't know about 
I'm not, I'm not an end times guy that's going to spend a lot of time on that. I got, I got a life of busyness before God takes me away. So I focus on what needs to be done. And God said, I'm not going to know about it. And when it comes, it comes. But man, let's get busy. Let's get busy, church. Amen? Hey, let's clap for that. Let's get busy. We got hopelessness around us. Genesis 50, and Justin, you guys can come on up. Sorry, talked long here. Genesis 15, 19 through 20, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I am, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Acts 3, 20, 2, 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Acts 4, 22 through, uh, 27 through 28. For this is the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pilate, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The gospel gives us a pair of spectacles through which we can review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us even through our own failures and sins to become vessels of his grace in this world. Why did God choose and prepare them? Uh, call Paul a prideful persecutor of his church because it pleased God to do so. Verses 15 and 16 was pleased. God was pleased. God took delight or pleasure in doing so. This is how God has always worked. Last verse, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8. It was not because you were in number, in number than any other, more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all, all, of all people. You were slaves, Exodus says. But it is because the Lord loves you. Can I, can I leave you with one last thing? The very last thing I have to say to you is this. God does not love us because we are serviceable. We've got a lot to bring to the table. We're perfect people. Man, all this stuff I can do for you, Lord. Not because God's lonely, needs us. No, sir. No, ma'am. He loves us simply because he loves us. Can you accept that, church? He loves us simply because he loves us. Again, Deuteronomy. Not because you're more number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you the fewest of the people. But it's because the Lord loves you. God loves you. Hey, you hear me? You in sin this week? You got some things in your life that you're like, impossible? You got self-hate? You're not good enough? You got past sin you can't move on past? You got sins going on now? You got the devil speaking in your ear to kill yourself? You're not worthy? You're not lovely? You have no purpose? I don't know what you walk in here with, but I know this. If you have the Holy Spirit and you've given your life to Christ, he loves you because he loves you. Just as he did Israel. Not because you deserve something. Unmerited mercy and grace. Amen? Bake in it. Love it. Reject man's religion. That's what, what's happening in Galatians? They're trying to come and oppose and say, you need to do this, 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 this. Who's controlling all that? Jesus came and said it's the new covenant. 
bought by my blood. And here they're coming, trying to covenant plus. Grace plus. Why would you accept that? Cheapening, and hear me on this, cheapening what he did on that cross. Is that cross and that sacrifice, is the Lamb of God being slaughtered sufficient for you? Then that's because he loves you. You don't deserve it. He loves you. Just like when the Passover lamb came over, what did they do? Egypt's sons died. Pharaoh's son died. Those people listened to God and put the lamb blood on their door and passed over them. And they were spared. Why? They obeyed God and they believed in the blood of the lamb. That's why they celebrate Passover. That's why Jesus came at the time of Passover and died on that cross to pass over your sins, to deliver unmerited grace. Will you accept that he loves you? You don't have to be enough. You just have to accept him. Amen? And man, I hope that's sufficient. And I hope you obey. I'll be here ready to pray with any of you, as I always am. But accept that love. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm certainly unworthy. And if it takes me tomorrow, I get to go to glory. I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? It's not a complicated message. It's not a big ask. Accept what he does on that cross. Accept that he loves you. Let your self-hate go out the door. And start accepting that your father loves you. No matter what you're in this place struggling with. Amen? And even in the struggle, embrace God and let him in. Everything tells you to flee him and do it alone. Suffer. Don't. Let him in. He loves you. Let his presence overwhelm you. Amen? All right. So this is the only kind of love we can ever be secure in. Of course, since it is the only kind of love we cannot possibly lose. This is grace. Let me pray. Thank you. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Paul presenting his testimony, teaching us as a church that we need to share our testimony. We can't debate and win people to you. We have to just accept your grace. We can't, on our own, in our own reason, come to grips with all these complex things such as creation and the challenges of war and, and, and disease and death. But Lord, we can't accept what your word teaches us, the truth. And I pray, Lord, that we wrestle with you on what that means. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for today and the opportunity we have to worship and gather in your church, not worried about missiles being fired at us right now. Pray for Israel. We also pray for our own hearts and our souls that we would be ready to take action and be who you've called us to be. We love you and we're passionate about you. We love you. Let me pray. Amen.